0: Hello again and welcome to another episode of the Hyperion Adventures podcast. I'm Tom. As always, I'm with my wonderful... Gorgeous, super smart, <laughs> and Star Wars love and wife, Michelle.
1: Hi, honey. Thank you. Hi, everybody.
0: So good to have you with us. We are recording this episode on Sunday, August 18th, 2019. We are just a few days away from D23 Expo 2019. I know. How exciting.
1: Oh my God. It is tremendously exciting. It's hard to
0: believe that it's already almost here. Right. It's it's really close now. Matter of fact, of all the reservations were made yesterday. We are going to be at all the big panels. We're so excited for that. Yeah. And we're going to start off right now by telling you, you should follow us along when we're at the D23 Expo 2019. We are going to be all over social media every single day. And that starts actually the day before because we are getting a preview of the Expo floor. Exciting, huh? Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
1: We're getting in Thursday and getting to, like you said, preview some things on the Expo floor. And uh it just... Every time I go to the website or read some things on social media about it, I just get so much, mm-hmm. so so, so very excited. I can tell you can't even tell you. Can't speak.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to my world. Welcome to my world. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know if that's just the excitement or just my brain. <laughs> right. So, yes, anyway, you'll want to follow us on social media because we'll be reporting throughout the day, each day from the D23 Expo. And then each night, we are going to be doing a wrap up episode. Now, this week isn't, uh, not this week, next week isn't going to be our typical episode where we just do one long episode. We are going to do several small episodes. And I mean small, like 20. 20, 30 minute episodes. It just kind of wrap up what's happened at the D 23 expo each day. And you'll want, now we'll start Thursday night. You'll definitely want to tune in for those.
1: Yeah. We know it's going to be, uh, fun out there. And we're going to love sharing that with everybody. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, like you said, they're going to be short because we're going to probably be energized out yeah. the evening and we got to get back up early again for the next day of excitement. So uh, very, very cool. And I did notice that all three days are totally sold out now. Mm-hmm. And so uh, for those of you who've gotten your tickets,
0: How fun. I know. And by the way, if you do have your tickets and you are going to be on the expo floor, look for us out there. We will be walking the expo floor regularly. We want to say hi to you if you follow us on social media, or if you are, uh, of course, a, a listener regularly to the show, come by, say hi. We do have a little trinket to give you. It's just a little uh, a logo magnet that we have if you want it. But most of it, more than anything else, we just want to get the chance to meet you.
1: Yeah, we really do like to interact with people. Uh, and we love people who are listeners or who are followers of ours on social media. It's fun getting to connect faces with names and mm-hmm. things like that and it's, we have such a great community out there and so yeah we are looking forward to hopefully meeting some
0: folks mm-hmm. and so it, if you're out there and you see us come up Say hello. Uh, if you want to find pictures of us, we have a few online. I put out a picture this week of kind of, de- you know, previewing that we are going to be out there. You can see what we look like out there. You got the cute little redhead <laughs> and the big clunky Oafy guy with yeah. the beard. That's me. Uh, we'll usually be together out there on the floor. So uh, take a look for us. But even if you're not on the floor, please follow along on social media. And the best way to do that is to follow us on Twitter at Hyperion Podcast, Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest at Hyperion Adventures Podcast.
1: Right now i'm really also looking forward to today's show because we're getting to talk about one of our favorite topics Mm -hmm. and with somebody who is one of our favorite people.
0: That's right. Now we have lots of stuff for you on today's show and that includes a new Walt Disney World ticket offer for those of you that may be a little bit more of late risers. Also, your chance to join the Disney Parks Moms panel is coming. We'll tell you about that. And some Disney four-legged friends are getting a new home. But let's get to today's topic. And this is exactly what Michelle was just talking about. We are continuing our Star Wars Remembered series, our countdown to The Rise of Skywalker, Episode 9, The End of the Skywalker Saga. Each month, we are going through all the Star Wars films, beginning with Episode 1, going in Star Wars chronological order, and today, we are moving into the original trilogy. That's right, Star Wars Episode 4, A New New Hope.
2: Hope. Somewhere in space, this may all be happening right now. 20th Century Fox and George Lucas, the man who brought you American graffiti, now bring you an adventure unlike anything on your planet Star Wars. Here they come. How do you do that? The story of a boy, a girl, and a universe. a big sprawling space saga of rebellion and romance it's a spectacle like years ahead of its time i am c 3 p human cyborg relations and this is my counterpart r2d hello it's an epic of heroes villains and aliens from a thousand worlds star wars A billion years in the making, and it's coming to your galaxy this summer.
0: So, yes, Star Wars. Well, it was just called Star Wars when that trailer <laughs> came out, that awesome trailer. <laughs> it's so funny. Of course, uh, later retitled uh, episode four, A New Hope. And as always for our Star Wars Remembered series, we are joined by our great friend Rob LeBerry from the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. Rob, thanks again for joining us.
3: Tom, Michelle, thank you guys so much for having me on the podcast.
0: So good to have you with us yeah. once again. We, you know, we rely on you for all things Star Wars, but especially the one that started it all. I know it's that. A good uh, by the way,
3: that trailer is still the only the third worst. Uh, Star Wars film of all time.
0: Right. I think that trailer is amazing. Actually, I mean, I, I've seen it before a long time ago, and I was like, getting it back for this episode. And I'm just chuckling away at it because it's hard to believe. It, it, you can see when you're watching this trailer as to why this movie really didn't have a big impact going into theater to begin with. And we'll go right. through that as we discuss this movie. But it was just, just really, really funny stuff. Uh, uh, you know, the, a, a boy, a, a girl, girl. <laughs> a galaxy. <laughs> All with the psycho music playing yes. in the background. <laughs> so great. No, none of John Williams' score or anything. I know. <laughs> so good. Anyway, so let's get into Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. This film debuted on May 25th. 1977 and to date myself I was eight years old when this movie debuted and oh my goodness it just opened up a whole new world for me it was incredible
1: yeah I remember going as a kid with my older brother I I don't really remember if it was because I was a cool kid and you know we did get along most of the time or if my mom made him take me. But (laughs) anyways, I know I remember it just being the most phenomenal movie of its time, you know, and I know people say that all the time. And I just really feel so honored, actually, that I got to see it in that kind of an experience,
0: right? I'm sure we'll get more into that. Rob, your thoughts, right? Opening of Star Wars, later named a new hope.
3: Yeah, uh, my parents had taken me to see it at the drive-in theater. I was not quite four years old yet. Um, and I still remember sitting in the backseat of the car with that, you know, kind of tinny drive-in theater uh speaker hanging from the window. Uh, and it's kind of funny because it was my dad that dragged us all out to go see it. And, you know, it's the same, same father who now looks at me like, I don't know, why are you so into the Star Wars stuff? But uh, it all, it all goes back to him. I'm hanging this on him. There all you right. go.
0: So let's get into this film. Uh, really going into it, and as you could understand from listening to that trailer, there really was not much hype for this film. Matter of fact, there was no hype for this film going into it. We've tried of yeah. gone through these movies and talked about hype going in. Many have had, An enormous amount of hype. This movie had none of it. As a matter of fact, when it first was put into theaters, fewer than 40 theaters actually ordered this film. As a matter of fact, 20th Century Fox, many theaters agree to show it if they wanted to show a film that was called The Other Side of Midnight, (laughs) which was a highly anticipated film. Still, it, it, they not a lot of them picked it up. Uh, Star Wars debuted, as we talked about, on uh, the 25th. On it was on a Wednesday, in fewer than 32 theaters, wow. uh, and eight more on Thursday and Friday. Yet it immediately broke a box office records, effectively becoming one of the first blockbuster films. And Fox accelerated plans to broaden its release after that. It was crazy. No one. This came. This film come. Completely came out of nowhere no one expected yeah. anything out of this movie george lucas didn't even expect anything in this movie he wasn't at the debut he was off uh, away with steven spielberg right. having a vacation and they're planning up uh you know ideas for what eventually would become uh, indiana jones right um so just incredible stuff michelle your thoughts
1: yeah uh same kind of thing it, it just it I don't recall, you know, if there was a lot of hype or not, you know, but I, I, I don't believe that there was, but yeah, I, I mean, you know, kind of going back to what I was saying before in terms of feelings, I'm trying to make a comparison to maybe earlier, I mean times now that if somebody had seen something and, and the only things that I could think of possibly Jurassic Park maybe and i know this is totally different but in terms of the wow factor it was toy story
0: mm, toy story might be uh, uh, jurassic park it was it was anticipated because it was a book that people loved right uh that they kind of anticipated they looked at this film it was uh spielberg behind it so right. you know kind of some interest there but uh rob your thoughts on uh this film pretty much coming out of nowhere? Yeah, I mean,
3: again, I was pretty young, so I didn't really have a lot of awareness of whether there was hype or not. Clearly, you know, I think that it's pretty well established that there wasn't. It was uh, pretty much an unexpected blockbuster, and even uh, even from George Lucas, I mean, he never really expected this to be a giant blockbuster film, and I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit more as we uh, continue
0: on this episode. Absolutely. So let's get to the cast, and uh, really, this cast was a mostly a bunch of relatively unknowns Uh, they really had not appeared in a lot of big things not a lot of things you would know uh, Mark Hamill as Luke Skywalker, his first really big role, right. and uh, really played it off. I mean, I think that the, the trio really made this this movie. Uh, Harrison Ford as Han Solo, he had appeared actually in George Lucas's American Graffiti, which is funny that you know from the from the George Lucas, the director right. who brought you American Graffiti, <laughs> yeah. in the trailer is like that would never be known as that again. <laughs> um, he so he had done a little bit of this, and then of course Carrie Fisher. Uh, who came on and played Princess Leia Organa? The big three, uh, still I- in everybody's hearts even today. Right. You know, Michelle, your thoughts on that? Yeah, them?
1: definitely. Um, you know, they they were real newcomers to this kind of a genre for sure. And um, yeah, well, even all the supporting characters too, with you know everybody in it. it it it. But you're right; those three really solidified the movie and the heart that came to
3: it.
0: Absolutely, Rob, your thoughts.
3: Um, uh, certainly the, the three primary actors and actresses that made up the core of this cast were kind of the lightning in the bottle that I think they've always struggled to recapture. Uh, and it's not something that you can really plan out. I mean, Um, the casting calls for this film went on for quite some time and it was up in the air really until right at the end, who was, who were going to be selected to play these parts. But, uh, looking back at it, I really don't think you can argue with any of the selections that were made.
0: (laughs) There's no way you can argue with any of those selections that are made. They are, you know, if you look back at it, you're like, how could they have ever thought of anybody else playing those role? Uh, You know, many great actors tried out for Han Solo, uh, including like Kurt Russell was one of the ones that tried out for it. Lots of big name actors that you know very well tried out for it. But uh, George Lucas settled on Harrison to be the role. And I think uh, deservedly so. And uh, just played it amazingly uh one of the few actors that you may have known from other films Alec Guinness who was classically trained been out in many many great films for years and years of course he plays Obi-Wan Kenobi and even though he wasn't exactly crazy about this film (laughs) at least from what we hear uh he played that role excellently
1: yeah he really did and um you know you wouldn't know that I mean I and I don't know how authenticated it is of some of the things he said about it. Um, he apparently did have some understanding that it, it it was unique and it might make some money because of how he got his his deal and pay out of that. But yeah, I, it, it was good to have an anchor there of somebody I think that audiences could understand as having somebody who was a leader or viewed as a leader, not just because he was, an experienced actor but because of maybe some of the roles he had played in the past
3: right rob your thoughts well i think that a big part of the success of of the main three characters uh with harrison ford uh, mark hamill and carrie fisher can really be attributed to sir alec guinness um he was you know everyone everyone who knew him and and who was there uh and i read quite a bit about this film Uh, There's a great book by uh, Jonathan Rinsler who uh, put together uh, making of books for each of the uh, original trilogy films for sure. Um, It's talked really clearly in that uh, book about the fact that he brought out the professionalism in these fairly young actors and actresses. uh, And, you know, they certainly kind of uh, raised their standard when he was around. Uh, and when he wasn't around, they kind of goofed off a little bit more. Right. So uh, <laughs> I I can't say that I blame any of them. They were all pretty young at the time, right. but uh, he he definitely I think uh, was a big reason why the quality of the acting in this film uh, still stands up today.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's definitely the case. And yeah, I mean, how could you not? I mean, this guy has been around, you know, Bridge over the River Kwai right. and so many great films that you got to show respect. Or the guy, but th- you know, these guys were all these actors were all relatively young as well, so you could <laughs> see why when he wasn't on set, they're like, right. Let's have a little more fun. I mean, I think there were some uh classic outtakes where you they're in the uh the 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 uh ship bay at, on the Death Star and they're supposed to be firing their blasters right. and they're like, Pew, 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 <laughs> you know, they're just having a good time, so very fun. Uh, moving on, another actor that was not as well known as Al Guinness, but had been around and done some things was. Uh, Peter Cushing, who played Grand Moff Tarkin, and he's got has kind of that menacing, you know, role of, you know, they didn't really have the emperor yet. And right. Darth Vader was, of course, the big bad of this. But Peter Cushing has that subtle evil right. part to him, you know, cool and collected. And uh, I just found his character fascinating.
1: Yeah, he did, he looked like somebody you wouldn't want to cross. I mean, he, he didn't even have to say anything. And you kind of had that feeling.
0: Yeah, anybody who's got Vader in check, you know, he's got to be pretty strong. Anyway, (laughs) uh, Rob, any any thoughts on Peter Cushing? Well, I mean, he did
3: a masterful job of playing Grand Moff Tarkin, but um, it's uh, maybe not so well known that a lot of the menace that he exuded while he was on screen was because the boots that they had provided him (laughs) were far too small for his feet. Uh, So the scenes where they were actually in the shot, uh, he was in agony, and then they were basically trying to... Uh, not shoot his feet uh, in a lot of the scenes because he was basically just
0: walking around without boots on. Yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> it was one of my fun facts I was going to bring up later. Actually, when he wasn't I'm wearing the... I'm trying to ruin the show early. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it, Rob. Always <laughs> jumping ahead, uh, you know, ahead of us forever. Very good.
1: It shows how organic our show
0: <laughs> is. <laughs> uh, yeah, he actually apparently wore comfy slippers for much of the scenes where he didn't have to, his feet didn't have to be shown. So you can just imagine your, your comfiest slippers. I'm figuring, you know, something like, you know, big old bear claw slippers or something. You know, oh, walking, yeah. Or bunny slippers. So, you know, yeah, you just see <laughs> Grandma talking, walking around with bunny ear slippers as we go through. So. I think Yoda feet
3: would be a Oh, true, oh, true. Or
0: Perfect. maybe
1: he was a visionary and they were Mickey, shoot, yeah, Mickey he slippers. Knew. He, he knew, knew ahead of eventually. Time. There
0: we go. <laughs> knew ahead grass, sorry. <laughs> Moving on throughout the cast, uh, Anthony Daniels played, uh, played C-3PO and has played that role in mm-hmm. so many... Uh, Different movies and television shows and everything else since that, since this point, and, and has really become uh, very famous for it. And again, another actor who uh, just did a masterful job right. with that role. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah totally. And um, he he brought a lot of, you know, it was one of the first movies, I would say, that brought heart to a droid.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, 10 brought out some of the biggest laughs, right. as a matter exactly. of fact, too. <laughs> uh, Rob, any thoughts on Anthony Daniels?
3: Yeah, um, well, it, when he's all in one piece, you know, certainly he, he, he did an excellent job of playing the professor. Um, it's it's an iconic character within Star Wars, so I can't imagine it without C-3PO right. and uh, certainly R2-D2 in it. But um, the, again, we'll probably get into it later on in this, in this broadcast about some
0: of the trials and tribulations that he went through playing that part. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, others like Kenny Baker ended up playing R2-D2 right. and... Uh, you may not even think of it, you know, because it's just basically this little canister droid running around or rolling around. And right. uh, yeah, Kenny Baker was in a lot of those scenes as are 2 as he was for many, many years. and uh, it's, But it's funny because a lot of times uh, apparently the actors would even forget that he was even right, in there. During you lunch know. break. <laughs> Poor guy, you know, I, they're in the, the desert in this heat <laughs> and he's got to be in this thing. and oh, Yeah, but, you yeah know, I couldn't I, and, imagine. Uh, he fulfilled the role very well, don't you?
1: Yeah, totally, totally. And, you know, I mean, nowadays I know that they have, they can do so much more with technology and, you know, that somebody actually did that is just impressive. Mm -hmm.
0: So much. Uh, Rob, do you have any thoughts on Kenny Baker at all? Well, I mean, I would
3: certainly say that this is the movie where he was most truly R2-D2 because of all the problems they had with that particular droid um, and the uh, electronics of it not working properly. So he was usually the one responsible for actually turning the head. Um, and trying not to strangle himself with all the cords that <laughs> right. were in there with him. Um, but you know, this this was the film where uh, R2's performance was most purely Kenny Baker.
0: Right. I mean, speaking of that, the problem is if you watch the scene, it's just right after he gets the plans from... Princess Leia and then, you know, C-3PO tells him to come on and he's kind of rolling towards him. You kind of see at the end where he's kind of veering off to the right <laughs> and they edit it away just before, you know, like he's going to smash into the wall, you know. <laughs> so you could tell that they're having some problems trying to kind of direct this droid as as obviously the technology was moving on. And so much technology got developed in this film and we'll right. discuss that, I'm sure, as well. Uh, Darth Vader was actually portrayed by two different people. As far as the acting role, that was David Prowse right. who, who played it. Uh, didn't have his voice used for and then of course the iconic James Earl mm-hmm. Jones voice for Darth Vader that just booming it just couldn't be more perfect right yeah, yeah I, that I was, think you agree Michelle Oh,
1: most definitely that was the best choice you know and you know it, I don't think it could be the same without having him play that
0: voice right and i think to this day still you know known as one of the greatest villains of all time rob your thoughts on darth vader um i've actually had the
3: the fortune to uh, meet and see david prowse in person um he used to do a speaking tour he probably still does um where he talks a lot about the you know the process of making star wars and he's got a lot of angst um about some of the things Mm -hmm. that that transpired certainly one of them being uh, one of the early issues that he had was uh, the fact that they brought in James Earl Jones to voice Darth Vader, um, and he kind of later got cut out of uh, you know future movies for different reasons. But um, the combination of having you know someone with his physical size and presence in that black armor. And then the voice, as you mentioned, with James Earl Jones was just the perfect voice. It's so iconic, and uh, I I wouldn't want to imagine Darth Vader without uh, the voice of James Earl Jones.
0: Right. I completely agree with that. It just wouldn't seem the same. I mean, maybe they would have found somebody that could have done a, a great job with it, but it's just hard to imagine. because right, James right. Earl Jones is so iconic. Perfect it's, fit. Yeah. Uh, rounding out the cast was uh, the the gentle giant himself, seven foot two, mm. Peter Mayhew. Uh, God rest his soul uh, playing the other general giant uh, <laughs> Chewbacca. And uh, I mean, the, the mannerisms, the heart, uh, you know, while still showing menace when he needs to, right. you know, uh, Chewbacca was just perfect in this, in all the movies going forward.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, and we saw a lot of his character uh, being developed in this film. I, I've just loved watching it develop more and more within other films of mm-hmm. star war. Um, but yeah, here he, he really, like you said, his mannerisms were fabulous. I mean, he, you could tell he just totally enveloped that character. Mm-hmm.
0: Rob, I know you have some thoughts on Peter Mayhew.
3: Uh, yeah. I mean, he was an incredible actor. Uh, he certainly imbued, you know, his spirit into the essence of who Chewbacca was. And when you really look at the early scripts and kind of how Chewbacca developed as a character, uh it doesn't sound like it would really work, but you've got uh, this amazing actor. Uh, certainly he had the the physical stature to play right. a Wookiee, uh, but it was really his mannerisms and just kind of the way he came across on screen that made Chewbacca so lovable.
0: Yeah, yeah. It, it was just, it, it was incredible how he was able to uh, get that across there. I mean, was it wasn't, you know, it was just growling mostly and it wasn't, it, it wasn't him doing it. It was right. this amalgamation of various different animal calls that were kind of put together to make it. But just the look in his eyes, the gestures, everything about it, you just love. Everybody to this day loves right. Chewbacca and Peter Mayhew is is to thank for that. So, I, I mean, I don't really need to say this, but we'll go over a quick synopsis of the movie just because that's what we do for all of these. But uh, the film follows a farm boy who always wanted something more and sees himself suddenly thrust in the middle of an unexpected adventure he learns that there's much more to the galaxy than he ever knew and along the way he meets a couple of wisecracking droids a teacher and a mentor a bit of a scoundrel a (laughs) quote space bear end quote (laughs) and a take charge princess on the way to saving the galaxy i think that you know just spells it out almost as well as that trailer did (laughs) yeah
1: I don't even think i have a comment for that sweetie <laughs> i'm hoping rob does
3: i'm just flinching in the corner right now just thinking about that trailer but um, <laughs> uh, again i i would agree i don't think uh i don't think most people would need a rundown although it's interesting i still run into people who say i've never seen star wars and mm-hmm. um I immediately refer them for psychi- uh, psychiatric psychiatric yes. evaluation <laughs> but, um You know, it's again, it it was a perfect it it was a perfect movie, but it's so interesting how it evolved. Um, If you, again, read the Jonathan Rensler book and kind of see the process of George Lucas coming up with this story Mm -hmm. uh, and how it evolved over the course of approximately two, two and a half years while it was being made. It's incredible that it turned out how it did um, and that it was such a hit. And uh, it's just proof of how difficult it is to come up with a story that's going to uh, you know, capture people's imagination the way that this film did.
0: Yeah, it's, it really is interesting because there was very little marketing, if any at all, for this film. It was almost, it was one of the only films that word of mouth made it. And it made right. it big really, really quickly. Like lines were going around blocks. Right. I waited in those lines going around blocks to see, because this is in the day when, you know, theaters were one single theater. Maybe you'll, you get a dupe you know, a a duplex or whatever they call it, that they had two uh, theaters in there. But you didn't have like the big, you know, 14, 20 theaters like you do today. So they would have these huge lines waiting for each one because this film was so big. It really is incredible that this word of mouth about this incredible film had such an impact on people.
1: Right. I mean, just even as a kid, being able to appreciate the uniqueness of it, you know, not not so much just the story, but the uniqueness and, you know, the crawl at the beginning and, you know, the the diversity in these kind of characters that we've never seen anything, you know, like that. They are, you know, different, but they are characters that we can, you know, kind of Mm -hmm. understand and appreciate. Everybody relates to a a
0: character or another. Some people related more to Han, some people related to Luke, some... More to, you know, Princess Leia, of course. But, you know, everybody kind of had that part within them as they watched this film.
3: Uh, Your thoughts, Rob? Well, I mean, if you look at the time that this film came out, I mean, this was a period of time where there was a lot of dark films coming out, a lot of kind of heavy and, you know, political films. Mm -hmm. And this was, you know, that was the type of film that George Lucas was into making as well. And then this was really kind of a challenge from Steven Spielberg to see if he could, uh make a film that was going to be positive and uh upbeat and and it kind of followed the same general idea of what he had done with American Graffiti in terms of a a story that was going to be really about coming of age of of a younger person and um you know he just it, it, the way that it came together uh it was inspiring it was exhilarating it was adventure it was you know all the swashbuckling right. um Uh, films and, and TV shows that Lucas had watched growing up and the things that had appealed to him when he was younger. And he was able to take that and craft it into a story that really spoke to the current generation. So, um, it's, it's an incredible, uh, amalgamation, I guess, of a lot of different things, uh, that just, was the right film at the right time for the right group of people. Right. Well,
0: it's a good point, Rob. I mean, think about the, where we were in, in our country's history in 1977 when this film came out. I mean, we weren't that far away from the Vietnam War ending, and our, our country was kind of torn apart by that. Uh, Watergate had just recently uh, happened, you know, the whole fiasco with that. So, I mean, we were just kind of in a weird state as a country and you kind of needed this bit of fantasy right. to kind of break you away from what was kind of the reality of what was going on in our country. Anyway, I, I just want to get in a little bit into how this film kind of developed, where it came from. So at the Cannes Film Festival, Cannes, Cons, however you call it, Cannes, Whatever. Uh, following the, the completion of uh, George Lucas's first film, THX 1138, 1138, whatever you want to call it, uh, he was granted a two-film development deal with United Artists. The two films were American Graffiti and an untitled space opera that was supposed to be inspired by Flash Gordon. So That's what's his thought to begin right. with going into this. Lucas went to United Artists and showed them the script for American Graffiti, and, and they passed on the film, which was then picked up by Universal Pictures. United Artists also passed on Lucas's space opera concept, <laughs> which he shelved for the time being. After United, Ar- Ar- United Artists declined on the uh, to budget the film, Lucas and producer Gary Kurtz presented the film treatment to Universal Pictures, of course, as I just talked about, they... Uh, did American Graffiti. Right. However, uh, it rejected it um, uh, its options on the film because the concept was quote a little strange end quote. And <laughs> it said that Lucas should follow American Graffiti with more consequential themes. Uh, so but he the... shouldn't have let out
1: with that a brother and sister kiss, <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> might have not been the way to go. It might have been also why Disney turned that down. By the way, just so you know. Uh, But Lucas and Kurtz uh, persisted in securing a studio to support the film. Uh, Lucas pursued uh, Alan Ladd Jr., who was the head of, of course, 20th Century Fox. And in the end of 1973, he completed a deal to write and direct the film. Although Ladd didn't grasp the technical side of the project, he believed that Lucas was talented. Uh, Lucas later stated that Ladd, quote, "...invested in me. He did not invest in the movie." End quote. The deal gave Lucas $150,000 to write and direct the film. Uh, American Graffitis positive reception afforded Lucas the leverage necessary to renegotiate the deal with Ladd and request the sequel rights to the film in August of 1973. Uh, for Lucas, this deal protected Star Wars's Star Wars's Star Wars <laughs> unwritten segments and, uh, of course, the merchandising profits, right. which were a big deal for George Lucas. So that's kind of what led into. Uh, the beginnings of having this film go through, and as you can tell, they went through many different studios, and no right. one got it. They didn't understand the uh, concept of this. How is this going to work? I think, as Rob was talking about, this was much more of a time where there, everything is more reality-based. Right. Everything is focused politically on war and on, on, on different things that were going on in our world. And this fantasy that no one could kind of understand from the concept of it right. uh, just had tough you know, finding a road into these studios. Yeah,
1: yeah, and th- and that would make sense. I mean, be- first of all, it was so different. So you know, t- no matter how great of a storyteller you are, it, that that would be something that would be difficult to try to translate to you know, a uh, group of executives to try to say, yeah, this makes sense. And we totally get it, you know, because there wasn't anything to compare it with.
0: Right. Completely agree. I, Rob, I'm sure you have some more details or some more interesting information on what led into this film being made. Yeah. I mean, certainly up
3: until the point where he got turned down at the Cannes Film Festival by uh, Universal, I believe it was, the idea that he had was to buy the rights to uh, Flash Gordon. And so... It kind of got to the point, not only could he not buy the rights to Flash Gordon, but um, you know the fact that he had been denied by multiple studio- studios um, with his initial idea of kind of turning an existing property into a film uh, is really kind of what sent him on a road to creating his own you know, original uh, film. And again, as you said, he got turned down by everybody, um, which I think is a big part of what fed into his dislike of the studio system uh, as time went on. And you also had mentioned, um, you know, the, the THX uh, 1138 film that was his first, uh, professional film that he did after getting out of college. And they had just formed American Zoetrope at that point. Um, and that basically that film crashing, uh, and burning was basically what caused American Zoetrope to lose their deal and uh, essentially go bankrupt. So he had a lot of failure, uh, both, uh, with his professional career, with his first film coming out of college. And then, um, you know, this idea that he had for the space opera film that he wanted to film, uh, not being able to successfully market that to anybody, uh, really went a long way toward developing him into the person that he was and, and kind of becoming more of an independent, uh, trying to take the studios out of the picture and and being able to have more creative liberties, uh, for the types of films that he wanted to make.
0: Yeah, I uh, completely agree with you in that regard. It was, uh, you know, an interesting situation, but understandable. I mean, you know, as a kid from out of college, his first film bombed. I mean, luckily, American Graffiti came through and was a relative success, and people right. enjoyed that film very much. Otherwise, who knows if this film is ever made? Uh, right. It, you know, but uh, yeah, it 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 had, it had to jade you a little bit if you're in his in his shoes.
1: Right. And you would think that Hollywood, you know, because of the success of American graffiti would say that was successful. It even spun off a TV show. Um, Let's do more of that. And, you know, here's Lucas saying, well, no, I want to do something different. Mm -hmm. You know,
0: great anyway. So let's get to the movie itself in all I'll say about this movie is that there are so many scenes that strike a chord with you in so many different ways. And we'll start right off the beginning of this film when there are no credits, uh, it, it was a big deal that, that, that Lucas actually had to uh, bargain, I believe, with uh, the Screen Actors Guild, or I think he
1: was paid he had to pay a penalty right or something because
0: like of the fact that you know he didn't put any credits at the beginning. It went right into the film, into the scroll that we see the crawl, right. and uh, you know you're like this is like again already off the bat. This is like something you really never seen. I mean, they, he did take this off of the Flash Gordon. Mm-hmm uh serials to begin with uh but really in a film you'd never really seen this as and it's telling you setting the stage for what's about to happen so you know your place right off the beginning it's it was just a fascinating way to start it was fascinating uh you know one just how unique it looked um
1: i I still remember to this day thinking episode four what (laughs) have I missed something? Was I supposed to see something before I came to this? I was so confused. (laughs) That doesn't take much, but, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, that, that opening was just, it just caught you right away. It was riveting.
3: Right. Rob, your thoughts. Yeah. I mean, John Williams (laughs) stands alone, I think. Um, One of the greatest film composers ever. But again, the interesting thing about this particular film is that uh, at the time, you know, the disco uh, music was more in tune with what a lot of the films were going with. um, And the classical compositions were not really heavily in use. And so Lucas choosing to go with the classic composer – Um, Again, he talks uh, a lot about um, the fact that he always considered this a silent film, not in the sense that there was no dialogue, but the sense that the music was really going to drive the story and John Williams was obviously the perfect choice for that uh, because his, his music and the score of the film uh, certainly does drive a lot of the action. It kind of informs you uh, what you should be thinking or feeling at a given point and is just the perfect complement. I don't think there's a piece of music uh, within Star Wars that you know people don't catch themselves humming at some point in their life.
0: Right, and that led right into the beginning of the movie. Yeah. That and the, the crawl, the scroll right off the bat. Uh, it just, you knew you were in for something. And then that followed way the next big scene, which I we were on Rob's podcast, the Jedi Temple mm-hmm. Archives podcast recently, and we were talking about our favorite Star Wars moments with it throughout the entire film. And right. this was definitely one of mine because it was something you've never seen before. It set the stage for the entire film. And that is when, you know, the Tantive Ford, Princess Leia's, it's not her ship, but she's right. on that ship. Uh, and, you know, followed... Closely behind by the giant Star Destroyer, and it was like nothing you'd ever seen before. Your draw just dropped right. immediately. It was an incredible way to start yeah, this film. Yeah,
1: it was. It was. You knew you were in dis- for something very, I keep saying this, different or unique, but something big. You know, you knew this was so going to keep you engaged the entire film.
0: Right.
3: Rob? And that Star Destroyer is actually still flying across the screen, so I speak. <laughs>
0: It's, it's true. I still think of the, what is it, Spaceballs, where they have this Star Destroyer that oh, goes yeah. on for like, it, it, it's right. like 10 minutes across the screen. <laughs> All right. But that's yeah. it. And it also, sh- it also set it, just that little scene set up, you know, the rebellion, this tiny little ship versus the Empire, which right. is this giant, massive ship. It, it just an incredible way to start the film. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So, you know, you go on from there. And, of course, there's this quick battle. You you find Darth Vader menacing as everything, you know. Uh, Princess Leia looks like she, I mean, she does fight back some, but she looks like, okay, she's really timid until she speaks with Darth Vader. Like, right. she's not intimidated by him <laughs> at all, <laughs> right, you know. Right. So, it, that's another thing that I don't think you saw a lot of in the movies. Right, yeah. I mean,
1: Yeah. Her having that ability to, well, not just him, but anybody that she was talking to on screen, she was going to command the screen and she was going to show, you know, she was in command. She was the princess. (laughs) She knew she had authority. It
0: put the princess, you know, the princess thought of what the princess was going to be Right. right on your ear, right from the beginning of the film, Rob.
3: Well, I mean certainly the spunk of Princess Leia I guess for lack of a better term was one of the hallmarks of this picture. Mm-hmm. We just rewatched it last night, uh, not that it was necessary and <laughs> you know the number of wisecracks she makes at, at Luke and Han's expense. Right. Um it probably defies your ability to count it. No one's going to turn that into a drinking game anytime soon. <laughs> I think. But, um, you know, again, it it goes back to what we talked about. The the spirit of those three main characters uh, really just imbued the whole movie and is a huge part of why it was successful.
0: Right. So, yeah, there's no question right. about it. Um, I'm not going to recount every single scene, but you know, I want go to wow, really go
1: through... say, wow, we're going to have a really long
0: episode. Well, there are so <laughs> many key scenes in this that I do want to go through several of them. We go to Tatooine, uh, the scene where Luke uh, comes out, you know, his his uh, uncle just told him, we need you to stay here. You can't go to the right. Academy now. And he walks out and he's so disappointed. And John Williams' score hits and he's up there looking over the two suns right. setting. And it's just every young boy's dream that always wanted to go do something different. Uh, when we were on your show, Rob, I compared it to, there's a thing out there and we saw this, I think it was, it was in the uh, uh, *Waking Sleeping Beauty* movie where they mm-hmm. talked about how in every musical, there's like some song that's right. like the third song in, the fourth song in, where the the hero or the heroine is there, and uh, there's a song where it's basically the "I want" song, right. what the you know dreams are, and that was the "I want" song yes. of the original *Star Wars* films of *A New Hope*. Right, I mean.
1: most definitely, and you know, I know you're saying young guy, but I think you know young people, they, you know, they, they have a feeling of what they want and, you know, longing for something that's not a part of their life yet. And, but I, that scene really captured that so wonderfully. But like you said, the music is what really made that, Mm -hmm. brought the emotion to that scene.
0: The music, the cinematography, everything put together. It just, it's incredible. Rob, your thoughts?
3: Well, and it's certainly a very emotional scene very early in the film. And Uh, Even without any dialogue whatsoever, you know exactly what Luke is thinking and what he's feeling. Uh, The interesting thing about that particular track, uh, Binary Sunset, um, is that – and you can probably find it online as well. But that particular cue, um, they came out with a four-CD original soundtrack uh, anthology set, a box set. Um, And if you listen to that particular cue on that uh, particular box set – um, it is much longer than, than the music you hear in the film. And it's because there is an Easter egg hidden in that track in the sense that uh, the entire end of that track is the scoring session for the main theme. And you can hear them uh, in, the, in the scoring session working through the various iterations of the opening trumpet blast mm. and what works and what didn't and um, them trying to find the perfect uh, version of that uh, main theme for Star Wars within that particular track mm-hmm. on the CD. Wow.
0: Yeah. wow, interesting. That's good stuff. Yeah, yeah, That's why we have Rob on. I he brings know. good stuff like that. Yeah. We, you know, especially, wow. I know Rob loves the music of Star Wars so much. So yeah. uh, little tidbits like that. Fascinating stuff. Uh, moving on, I mean, there's a lot of stuff we're going to skip over here, but we get, to, of course, to Michelle's favorite scene from <laughs> this film, and that is, of course, the cantina at Mos Eisley, uh, and all the characters there, and the band, and everything that happens in there, that is Michelle's favorite. I'm just going to let Michelle talk about it, <laughs> no, because that's yeah. her favorite scene.
1: And I, I mean, it, and it's just, you know, corny and geeky, but it is just funny, and it's fun, and, you know, the music... It, I don't know. It, it, nothing to compare it to, but I, I just think it's just so funny and makes me want to have a party with in that cantina. <laughs> well, <laughs> with
0: that's that why, band. That's why we go to Ogans is know, so we can sort of have that, that party. Band. You want that band? Well, <laughs> DJ Rex does play their he music. Does do so. a
1: good job of that.
0: Rob, the the cantina scene, Your thoughts? Well, I mean, certainly this this
3: within the film, uh, most people had seen. Um, you know, TV shows or serials at that time that had, you know, spaceships and some of these, uh, elements that Lucas had worked into the film up until that point. But that cantina scene was really the first time where you realize that, you know, you're just, you're not in Kansas anymore. Right. <laughs> it's, it's, it's different aliens and this completely alien feel to the place. And, um, You know, the realism again, one of the things that made Star Wars so successful is everything wasn't all clean and neat. It was it was grimy and used and dirty and it felt like a lived in world and no place was that more evident than in the cantina. So, um, you know, and then on top of it, you know, some of the confrontations that they have in their meeting Han Solo and Chewbacca. Um, this was one of the ones that when we did uh, the series of, of our top five iconic mm-hmm. moments within mm-hmm. uh, Star Wars on the Jedi Temple Archives podcast, you know, my wife was talking about this one as well, the, right. the whole initial meeting of Han Solo. And, um, you know, it's just it is one of those scenes that the film would have been completely different without it in there
0: i think michelle takes a special affront to the fact that you know we don't serve their kind in here to those yes. droids i oh, know how much she loves droids <laughs> what are you doing that's so racist I so know. droidist
3: <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned you know august cantina because that's the first thing that popped into my head i've seen some videos of how rock in that place can get when the music's up and the bartenders and uh some of the guests in right. there are, are kind of bopping and hopping to the beat so uh, it's cool that they're trying to develop that same kind of environment where you really feel like you're, as Michelle said, in the middle of a party.
0: Right. Yeah. It really is. It does. Yeah. Right. I I can't wait for where you just we're just a few weeks away from you getting out to uh, Disneyland. We're gonna go to Oga's yeah. Cantina with you, and it's going to be a lot of fun. We're, we're very well, excited. I had about my
3: chance thing. today. I could have. I could That's have been true. Right, yeah. for it, uh, true. At the annual pass holder preview, but I'm I'm much happier with the idea that I'm gonna get to ex- experience it with my wife and with you guys yeah. out in California. Oh, and, cool. uh, it's gonna be a blast. We so.
0: appreciate you. Yeah. Sacrificing that uh, yeah. for one for us, but also of course always for the children. <laughs> for, the children. <laughs> for the children, and because I don't want anyone to feel like a jerk. <laughs> That's right. Oh man, he's perfect. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Um, you know, another interesting scene is the destruction of Alderon, uh, because I don't think you know. I mean, you see this big. You know, actually you don't you see some clips of this of the Death Star to begin with, but you're like, you know, I don't know how what we know about this thing. Right. What is it? They call it the Death Star, whatever. But to actually see it blow up a planet and right. you know, right in front of uh, Leia, who, right. you know, is, of course, you know, from there. And it was actually a very impactful scene and a very important scene to just prove, look, how big this is and how deadly this is going to be. And it sets up a lot that's going to the drama that's going to come as we move along to the third act. Right.
1: And that's one of the scenes where you really see her emotions change of, you know, feeling like, hey, you're not going to intimidate me or anything like that to where, holy crap, what? what's going to happen here? Mm -hmm. This is uh, not good.
0: Yeah. Rob, any thoughts on that?
3: Well, and it gives the movie a feeling like there are actual stakes to be won or lost. Um, You don't see a whole lot of places where they're willing to annihilate an entire planet Mm -hmm. and its people. Uh, And, uh, you know, as my wife Reminds me all the time that it's a perfect example of just how dedicated to the rebellion Princess Leia is because despite the fact that she has her, her parents, her family, her friends, her entire world get destroyed right in mm-hmm. front of her eyes, she is unerringly um, focused on, on defeating the Empire and right. making the rebellion victorious.
0: Yeah, she yeah. gives the false rebel base, an old rebel base where they used to be right. as far as... Uh, were, you know, trying trying to stop them from doing this. But, uh, of course, I, as we know, it did not work. But.
3: And she's comforting Luke. You know, when they do escape the Death, mm-hmm. the death Star, right. you know, he loses Obi-Wan, someone he's known for a very short period of time. Right. She's <laughs> lost her entire planet, but she's comforting right. him. Yeah, right, good point. Yeah. Good
1: point. So, I'm going to derail us here a oh, wow. bit. Oh, wow. Because you've skipped over a very iconic moment okay. in the film is when they were first approached the cantina. <laughs> and Obi-Wan, oh, yeah.
0: these aren't the droids. It's our first real look at the use of the Force. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. That's a good point. I should have put that in there as well. Yes. And it was a funny, it was a hilarious moment for one thing. Right. You know, it just shows you that there was some good comedy always buried within Star Wars and some of the seriousness of it. you right, know, There right. was some good comedy. Uh, but yeah, it was our first look at a little bit of what you know a skilled... Force user could do right, right, and it was like, "What just happened?" Right, how did he do that?
3: And, do you I mean, now it's buried within a bunch of bad CGI. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: exactly. we're not going to get into the special edition here—at <laughs> least not very much. But yes, yes. exactly. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, uh, eventually, uh, obviously, Luke, Han, Obi-Wan, Chewie—they're trying to make their way to Alderaan. However, there is no Alderaan left. Uh, when they get sucked into the basically having to go to the Death Star, and the interesting thing from this, and I'm sure Rob will have uh, many components to this, where this these are, are a lot of these themes are brought from other movies and other possibilities. Uh, one of the interesting things about this one is that this is very much a we're storming the castle. Okay, the Death Star is the castle. Darth Vader is the Dark Knight. They, they have the princess hidden away in a tower somewhere within the castle, and they have to rescue the princess and bring her out. And It's very much the theme of this. I, I think it's actually, it's very blatant that it's the theme, you know, even with the Dark Knight there. Uh, but there are so many things in regards to this whole film. I, I'm sure, Rob, you have some uh, some comments on some of that.
3: Yeah. I mean, again, one of the things that came out as Lucas was putting this film together was um, he kind of didn't have a lot of direction in terms of how to structure the the story. And he eventually came a- across uh, Joseph Campbell and his work, uh, The uh, Hero with a Thousand Faces. And it's all about the hero's journey. And that's also kind of one of the structures that they use within this film. It's this young, uh, idealistic person who uh, has a call to adventure and they deny it and then they, you know, meet their mentor and then they lose their mentor and they, you know, progress and fall back and then finally rise to the occasion, the final time. And so that, that entire structure was both used within the film overall, although I totally agree. I mean, certainly the storm in the castle, uh, you know, good luck storm in the castle boys. Yeah. <laughs> um, was, was an element with the death star attack. Um, but it, you know, there, there were some tropes that George Lucas kind of, Uh, use when he created this film and certainly they were very uh, very successful in terms of the reception it got from the fans
0: yeah uh, definitely definitely so you know they're on the death star you know they're saving the princess although she does a pretty good job of helping save herself you know with a little bit of their aid uh obi-wan kenobi meanwhile is on his own journey and Um, We don't know this at the time, but, you know, it's more impactful now squaring off with his old apprentice. I mean, they did. He does say it's my old apprentice, but you don't realize how impactful that is until later on as you learn more about it. Um, And sacrifices himself essentially to to help Luke. If you strike me down, I will become more powerful than you could ever possibly imagine. Right. Um, Just an incredible scene. And the, the, you know, the face of Luke when he sees Obi-Wan, even though, like you said, uh, you've known him for a very short time, or I mean, at least really known him for a very short time. It was very impactful in many regards.
1: Right. I mean, in the, And actually, for Luke, that was the only person in this whole group that he knew. I mean, like you said, he hadn't known him for a long time. I mean, he'd known of him for, sounds like, you know, a lot of his life. But really, now he's in with a bunch of people he never really knew beforehand. And, and, you know, what are they facing? And they're getting shot Mm -hmm. at. And it had to have a lot of different emotional components to
0: it. Yeah. Rob, any thoughts?
3: Uh, Well, the interesting thing with Alec Guinness is that, you know, when they first started shooting the film the plan was never for obi-wan to die and uh that kind of created a situation where they were filming and and when lucas made the decision that he was going to have alec guinness uh, or obi-wan um die within the film uh that ended up being a situation where he had to go sit down with alec guinness and kind of break the news to him and tell him he was still going to be used just in a little bit different way. So, um, we talked a little bit before about the fact that, you know, Alec Guinness and his involvement with the movie, he went more for a percentage of, of the, uh, the take as opposed to a straight salary. And you certainly can't argue with his business savvy there, but, um, the, that was just one of the many pitfalls, I guess, that uh, Lucas had to navigate with this film. Mm-hmm. If you think, if you do any reading or research on the movie and understand just how many times this almost didn't get made, it's really mind-blowing. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Not only that that it got put out, but that it became as big a hit as it did.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, so then we can move on, and there's the escape from the Death Star, the Millennium Falcon flying away from the Death Star and the the fight scene that uh, George Lucas, I think we've talked about this in the past, maybe we just talked about it on the Jay Temple Archives podcast, that uh, he brought out uh, old World War II actual film clips of uh, some dogfights out there, and basically did shot for shot with some of these effects and these TIE fighters and the fight that went on. We were talking about it, Michelle and I, as we were watching, we also rewatched the film again, not that we had to either, Uh, but we love the William Falcon Smugglers Run, but how fun would it have been if also had the chance to be in those guns right. that they have there, the sw- you know the swinging uh, turret guns that they have. That You, know, yeah. you go around, you have the little—that I, I, would have been a blast if they had <laughs> been, figured out a way to work that out. But anyway, such an interesting scene, and, and I just think it leads also into many of the fec- effects that we— we saw it throughout this film, and the incredible work by the right. model makers, and you know, to do stuff that really has never been seen before.
1: Yeah, I mean, to and and how the shots go from showing, you know, them doing, you know, figuring out how to how do I line up, how do I shoot, how do I steer, and then going into the big space and seeing, mm-hmm. oh, I did hit something or I didn't, and you know, it great uh, cinematography back and forth there.
0: Yeah, no question. Rob, your thoughts? Yeah, I, I love the fact that you
3: brought up the footage of the dog fights, um, because I think that uh, that was certainly a way that Lucas was better able to communicate to the to his uh, visual effects people exactly what he was looking for. And um, if there's one thing you find out about George Lucas, it's that he's he's excellent at giving visual cues for what to do and maybe not so much with the acting the right. ongoing joke with anyone involved <laughs> with Star Wars is that his direction was always faster and more intense. Right. But, <laughs> can't argue with the with the end result in this film i mean that dog fight scene and uh certainly accentuated by the music of john williams um that particular cue one that, that always sticks in my head uh but that dog fight scene when that is over you want to cheer
0: yeah right right and they, and they yeah. cheer and you yeah. want to cheer yeah, well, there are many times you want to cheer through this i and many times the first time seeing it that This is one of those films where the crowd was locked in and cheering at every single thing they saw. It was was incredible. And speaking of that, let's get to the attack on the Death Star. Mm. And uh, it is such an incredible piece of uh, a film to watch. I mean, yes, John Williams scored, building the drama. All the different attacks. The fact that it, and I brought this up with Michelle as we were watching it again the fact that you go from these giant moments of flying through these areas, you know, into the trench, over the Death Star, into, you know, outer space. And then you focus in on all these actors very intimately in their cockpits right. and see them reacting to what's going on around it. Back and forth, back and forth. It just leads that much more into the drama and made it an absolutely incredible, probably the most incredible. I don't know what how long it is—fifteen minutes, twenty minutes, whatever right. time uh, pieces of film that I've ever seen in my life. Right? Michelle.
1: Yeah, totally. And you, you, you definitely feel like you're you're kind of transformed into that world with them and you're doing this with them. And because of like you saying, because of that intimacy and showing, you know, their face and, and what they were doing and then, you know, showing uh, all the surroundings back and forth. Yeah. I, I just remember feeling like, gosh,
0: you know, when it was done, I was like, wow, it wears was- you out. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're gripping your seats. Even this, I've seen it hundreds of times by now right. to this day. I'm still gripping my seat every time I watch it. Rob, any thoughts on the, the attack on the Death Star?
3: I was thinking the same thing as we were watching it last night, which is that, you know, it still builds tension. You still kind of catch yourself holding your breath as you're watching it. Um, it's it's exciting. It's exhilarating. Uh, there's a reason why people were jumping up out of their seats and cheering uh, on the first hearing. It, maybe not so much in, in my case because everyone was in their car. But, um, <laughs> you know, speaking of being in your car, you know, I live in Michigan and uh, occasionally go over to Detroit for sporting events or whatever. And there is a freeway called the Lodge Freeway that kind of goes into the heart of downtown Detroit. And it is literally. Uh, cement trench. Uh, It's about 15 to 20 feet below the surrounding neighborhoods and it's got concrete sides. And every time I drive that stretch of highway, I feel like I'm in the Tet Star Trench. So uh, I haven't blown up anything yet, thankfully, (laughs) but um, you know, it's, it's just something that I, I think of all the time. Uh, It's an iconic movie moment for sure.
1: Hopefully you have the soundtrack playing. (laughs) Oh, I've always got that on.
3: (laughs) 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 <laughs> going in full throttle
1: <laughs>
0: I, you know and so this leads us to what is to me the greatest film moment i've ever experienced at any time in my life and there were some parts of this when in avengers endgame there were some great moments mm-hmm. that made me cheer that had the crowd cheering in there right. but nothing compares to the film experience i had Spoiler alert! When Han Solo <laughs> reappears at the last moment right. to save the day, when you thought he's flown away and is doing his own thing, out of nowhere comes when he has the when Darth Vader has the bead finally on right. Lucas. He's getting down to the end of the trench. You get the Yahoo. The crowd went absolutely bananas, and then the you know he makes the shot. The Death Star blows up. It was absolute bedlam the first several times yeah. i saw it and it's still to this day i still feel that right. throughout me i will never ever forget it michelle yeah any
1: thoughts? oh same same thing it's just it was such excitement and again i'm repeating myself in terms of feeling a part of it but just feeling elated that yay you know and and even at first when it was first happening because there was so much going on um or maybe I just don't process that quickly. But, um, you know, like, did Darth Vader make it or didn't he make it? Oh, wait, he's spinning off. I, uh, what's going to happen mm-hmm. next? You know? And,
0: yeah, yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. Rob, I know you must have thoughts on that moment.
3: Yeah. I mean, they did such a great job of, of establishing Han Solo, despite all of his, you know, all the things that he was doing kind of for the greater good uh, were all supposedly based in his love of money. And, uh, you know, when he departs and, and takes his payment and kind of takes off, you, there was no reason to believe that he was coming back. But when he appears, uh, in a blaze of glory and takes out the two tie fighters with Darth Vader and spends, sends Darth Vader kind of spinning off into space, uh, and frees Luke up to take that shot. It was definitely, they'd done a great job of just building the drama. You, you were like, Luke is in invader sights; He's not going to escape. How's this right. going to pan out? Uh, and, and Han Solo saving the day, um, just established him as, you know, a different kind of scoundrel, I guess, right. uh, at that point in time.
0: By the way, if you, if you're looking out there, if you know the, the star Wars shorts that exist that are, uh, I think it's called the galaxy of here. I'm, I'm blanking on it right at this moment, but, uh, uh, there are some star Wars shorts basically made to kind of. Uh, get, teach kids, you know, get them involved in Star Wars and, and whatever the case may be. But there's a great one out there that shows the moments before this happens where uh, Han and Chewie are kind of deciding or, you know, w- you know, should they go back or not. Oh, wow. It really is a great short and you should go check it out. Uh, Rob, I know you remember the name. I'm sorry, I'm blanking on the name right now.
3: Yeah, it's Galaxy of Adventures. Yeah, I, I just happened. had to verify it too because they've got a couple of different cartoon mm-hmm. series, but the current one is uh, Galaxy of Adventures.
0: Yeah, yeah. they're are lots of great shorts if you have kids that aren't really entrenched in star wars yet go check these out they're perfect for that they're only about 60 90 seconds two minutes long uh so they're perfect for uh short attention span you know but uh they really you could have just said me yeah
1: (laughs) we thought that no i'm just kidding
0: (laughs) but it it really is fun to see how this kind of the thought process kind of developed and going into it it was kind of an interesting thing so interesting Uh, Moving on from there, of course, there's the award ceremony where they all march in. Or not they all, but uh, Han and Luke Luke. and Chewie march in and they get the medals uh, from Princess Leia. We see R2 back to full strength after being scared that he got blown up or whatever. And it's just a wonderful, uh, thrilling way to, you know, finish this film, you know, in many regards. Again, more with John Williams' score and just... Just, just a perfect way to to wrap it up,
1: right? It was like, like the real fairy tale ending, mm-hmm. you know, and you had the princess there too to make it all tied up nicely with a bow. So.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, you have
3: any thoughts on that, Rob? Well, I mean, and it was it was the perfect ending for this particular film in the sense that you know he knew he was going to get to make this. Although, again, I, I would I would argue that there were any number of times in the making of this film that it looked like it may not get made. Sure. Um, but you know, the intent was always to have this. If it was going to be successful and potentially open the door for him to tell the other stories that he wanted to tell, the other chapters that he had uh, kind of outlined at that point, uh, it was going to have to be something where this film ended on a high note. And we'll get into you know next month when we talk about Empire, mm-hmm. uh, the the kind of twist with that film. But um, it certainly succeeded in in having everyone walk out or float out of the theater kind of on <laughs> yeah. cloud nine. Uh, having delivered an awesome story and, and really uplifting ending.
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely. But, I mean, let's get to what really made this movie. And, yes, there was so many aspects of it. But And I know you've talked about it already, Rob, but John Williams' soundtrack mm-hmm. is absolutely incredible. And, really, this movie would not be anywhere as good as it was if it were not for it. I mean, every moment mm-hmm. is the, the tone of it is perfect, and it shouldn't surprise us from John Williams. You know, we've seen him do it for so many films, even before this movie even uh, came out. Uh, you know, we we saw something, I think, recently that was talking right. about uh, him writing the, the theme for Jaws. Right. And, you know, yeah. he just kind of played a little doot-doot. You know, on, yeah. on the, in the piano. He's right. like, and Steven Spielberg is like, what have I done? You know, <laughs> I, 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 I'm, I'm having do, 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 be you know, this giant shark. No, John Williams knew exactly what he's doing. And he knew with, with obviously cues as, as, as Rob has brought up before from George Lucas, but he knew exactly what he was doing. And it is a masterpiece throughout these films, his score. It makes these films. And I, I think it really shines in this one for sure. Yeah.
1: I mean, What's really powerful by his score is how much he captures the essence of the character. You know, it's not just like, okay, there's some music in the background and it kind of, you know, gives you some of the sense of how you should feel going into that scene. But, but on, on, from his perspective or from the way he's done this, it's, it's more I'm sharing with you the character and the emotion this character is going through right now. And that's what I think made it uh, also very different than most scores that you would think about in a movie. Yeah.
0: Rob, I know you have more comments on the score yeah. for sure. <laughs> uh,
3: you know, I think certainly John Williams is a, is the maestro and a master, a master of uh, his craft. But I also think that you need to give some credit to George Lucas with the way the music was developed in star Wars, because the way that, um, that they kind of advise the composer on what they're going for with given scenes is they will lay in what they call temp tracks um, that are what they use during this, the initial scoring session uh, with the composer to kind of give them an idea of what feelings they're trying to evoke and kind of what notes they're trying to hit. And so then the composer's job is to you know, take some take and create something that's going to evoke the same feelings as that temp track but kind of you know stand on its own. And this, the two things that I would say Lucas is a master at in terms of his filmmaking, uh, one would certainly be his his ability to, you know, create these ideas and these visuals that are what drive everyone to put together the movie that he's looking for. But also he clearly had some talent in trying to come up with music that was going to fit and inform the fans on, you know, what emotions they should be feeling at any given point in time. And he, by all accounts, had an incredible working relationship with John Williams, uh, and that working relationship is really, uh, you know, a huge part of how he, uh, how John Williams was able to craft the the themes that we know today and, and that really evoke the things that, that Lucas was going for with this film.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. They, they teamed up together uh, masterfully and Uh, You know, the London Symphony Orchestra played it so well, you know, the score written by uh, John Williams, it was just so good. And the other aspect I want to get into is just the effects alone, because... I don't think people who maybe if you weren't born when we were born when we saw this film realize that what a leap this was special effects wise, and how much so many of those effects are still in use today. And I mean, because you know nowadays there's so much CG and 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 so many different things you can do. I mean, everything pretty much had to be a practical effect uh, during that time and. It was incredible the things that they developed, new uh, technology, new ways of shooting things, new thoughts, and all the model making, all the things they had to do to create it. It's incredible to look back on. And it was, like I said, it was at 1977, you know, 40 plus years ago. It was such a leap ahead. Uh, You know, you talk about like, I'm just going to compare it to... um, the Beatles and Sgt. Right. Peppers and how much the people thought that that was such a leap ahead in music. This was kind of that leap ahead right, right. in as far as, uh, you know, visual effects. It, it's incredible. And a lot of them, again, like I say, still stand up today.
1: Yeah. And like I said, at the very beginning here is that, you know, it was really fun to be in the theater, to see that, you know, as that, you know, I know people can see it now or see it at home, but to see it, as being so new and so different at that time was thrilling.
0: Mm-hmm. Rob, any thoughts on the effects?
3: Well, I, I think the the biggest compliment you can give to them is so many of them still stand up today. I mean, I was coming commenting on it as we were watching it last night that you're sitting here uh, 42 years later watching this film, mm-hmm. and again, there there are things that certainly could have been done better if they were shooting it today, but... Right. There's certainly nothing about the uh, the effects within the film that take away from the enjoyment or take away from the story, and um, you know if anything, you know as we talked about some of the the things that were added in kind of uh, after the fact by Lucas really didn't even need to be added in mm-hmm. uh, to improve the the feeling of the story. So, um, and the interesting thing about the special effects is that when when Lucas had come back from shooting the film um, in in England back in I think it was August of, uh, of 1976 when he came back uh, to ILM to kind of see where they were at with the special effects. The, his group, his ILM uh, effects group, had about 45 people employed. They had 360 shots to do, and they only had one shot finished. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they'd blown through half their budget. Wow. So, again, when you talk about the fact that this movie at any number of places could have just totally fallen apart – uh, it's a miracle that, you know, in that short period of time, basically less than a year, they had nine months roughly wow. uh, to to finish it before the film went live. And in the roughly two years that he'd been, um, you know, uh, creating the drafts and, and doing the filming, they'd only managed to get one shot together. It's, it's just a miracle. Yeah. And I love the effects. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. I still I can still watch the film today without. Uh, anything being taken away
0: right completely agree with that Uh, totally every moment of it it's just it's it's always incredible to me watching it and thinking that this was done 42 years ago right. when they just weren't making movies like this in that time. So uh, the critical reception for this film, Rotten Tomatoes retroactively looked at it because uh, Rotten Tomatoes obviously didn't exist right. in 1977, but they indicated it was a 93% approval rating based on 117 reviews with an overall rating of 8.73 out of 10. Pretty strong. Yeah. Uh, The film was met with critical acclaim upon its release Uh, in his 1977 review, Roger Ebert of the Chicago Sun-Times called the film, quote, an out-of-body experience, end quote, Uh, compared its special effects to those of 2001 A Space Odyssey, which uh, I've seen 2001 A Space Odyssey, great effects for its time, Star Wars blew it away, in my opinion, and opined that, yeah, opined that the true strength of the film was, quote, pure narrative, end quote, uh, Vincent Canby at the New York Times called the film, quote, the movie that's going to entertain a lot of contemporary folk who have a soft spot for the virtually ritualized manners of comic book adventure, end quote, okay. A.D. <laughs> uh, Murphy of Variety described the film as, quote, magnificent, end quote, and said George Lucas has succeeded in his attempt to create, quote, the biggest possible adventure fantasy uh, based on serials and other action epics from his childhood so uh just just you know a uh, critical acclaim yeah. which deservedly so i mean it was like something that no one had really ever seen i'm shocked that there was seven percent of reviews that were bad for it right. because it was amazing i mean i mean i know there's always that somebody has to be on the other side of things you <laughs> yeah. know but uh I, I it's just an incredible film
1: right yeah and i agree i, I don't think i can add to that i think that um because it was so revolutionary at, at that moment that it just captured everybody.
0: hmm. Uh, Rob, any thoughts on that at all? Uh, I love it. <laughs> 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 Perfect. Excellent. <laughs> movie, Perfect. I, again, there's a million things
3: I could say about right. it. Um, I can't, I can't argue with any of the critical reception. Uh, again, it's, it's not even about any of the technical aspects of it. It is just a movie that is about how it makes you feel. And this film uh, it makes you laugh, it makes you tense it makes you cheer it makes you know it, you basically go run the gambit of emotions uh, and I think that's really what a great movie does I
0: totally agree on that uh, So Star Wars was nominated for 11 Academy Awards. Uh, won six competitive Academy Awards at the 50th annual Academy Awards. Uh, Best art direction, best costume design, best film editing, best original score, best sound and best visual effects. A special achievement for sound effects editing went to sound designer Ben Burt. and a scientific and engineering award went to John Dykstra for the development of the Dykstra Flex camera, along with a couple of people that kind of helped him uh, develop that. Uh, additional nominations included Alec Guinness for Best Actor in a Supporting Role, which was the, the only major acting nomination that they ever received. You know, I was reading this and I swore I went through. I, I've gone 40 years thinking that uh, Alec Guinness won that award. But no, he did not win it. He was just nominated for it. Uh, that went to Jason Robards for Julia. Uh, George Lucas was nominated for Best Original Screenplay, Play, uh, Best Director. And the, the film was nominated for Best Picture and Lost, and I will always despise this film because of the fact that it lost to it for Annie Woody Allen's Annie Hall won the <laughs> film that year. I've seen Annie Hall. It's fine. It is no Star Wars, my <laughs> friends.
1: No, but it, it probably just captured uh, more of the voting audience of the Academy.
0: Well, yeah, there was, it, it, it took so long before any of these films like this even made a real dent in any of the major Academy awards. And they still to this day suffer from that a little bit. They don't get, uh, some of their, what they deserve in these, in these awards shows. Rob, any thoughts on that?
3: Uh, again, I, I think the biggest thing that it was up against at that time is that it just wasn't the type of film that typically did well. And the fact that it won as many awards as it did was just a complete, uh, Complete fluke, I guess, at that point in time. But it certainly deserved to win far more. Uh, I think Alec Guinness certainly deserved more recognition for his work in the film, um, and you know he certainly brought that gravitas to the to the cast for sure. Mm-hmm. So,
0: yes. Uh, as far as the box office, Star Wars remains one of the most financially successful films of all time. Film opened on a Wednesday in thirty-two theaters, expanding to forty-three screens on the Friday, and earning. in its first six days to the end of Memorial Day weekend. That would be $10.6 million in in 2018, anyways, when this was uh, computated, computed, whatever you want to call it. Uh, It gradually added screens, building up to $7 million weekends, and it entered wide release. As it entered wide release, uh, that would be uh, $28.9 million in 2018 dollars. It replaced Jaws as the highest-earning film in North America just six months into its release. Yes, this is back in the day when movies would be out for six months yeah. in the theater because there was no video release, right. you know, at that time. Uh, eventually, owning over, uh, uh, earning over two hundred twenty million during its initial theatrical run. That's nine hundred ten million in two thousand eighteen dollars. Right. Remember, there's a lot fewer theaters. Uh, right. During this time, yeah, you know, the, the, you don't get four thousand theaters that you can put it sure. in during that time, right. so it's tough to make that kind of money. Uh, Star Wars entered international release towards the end of the year, and in nineteen seventy-eight, added the worldwide record to its domestic uh, one, earning four hundred and ten million in total. That's one point six nine nine billion in two thousand eighteen dollars total. Uh, it was re-released theatrically in '78, '79, '81, '82, and of course the what we just talked about the right. special edition yes. when they made all the changes in 1997. In the total, the film has earned 775398007 worldwide dollars, including seven dollars in North America alone. Uh, adjusted for inflation, it has earned over $2.5 billion worldwide. Right. So uh, one of the biggest films of all time adjusted yeah. for now. I, as a matter of fact, I believe it's the third highest now after Avengers Endgame passed mm-hmm. by it of all time. Uh, just, just incredible. And, that, you know, like I said, most of this is from word of mouth. It was not right. a widely publicized film. I mean, gradually it did get that way. But to begin with, a lot of this was just people saying, look, I saw this film. It's amazing. You have to go see it. Right. And then people going and seeing it over and over and over. Again. Right, right.
1: And it really changed the world of uh, movie merchandising. Ooh. for Sure. Oh, yeah. You know, it, it really led it, <laughs> led the pathway for that to really Blossom.
0: Yeah, we're not even getting into the millions and billions right. of dollars that has been made from Star Wars merchandising from this yes. film. Uh, just Rob, by Rob alone. Just by Rob alone. <laughs> yes. I, Star Wars toys
3: didn't last very long in my house. I was, uh, maybe too destructive as a child. But um, you know, and uh, the interesting thing is, I've never been like a huge Star Wars collector per se, um, but I've always loved the films and. Uh, in regards to, you know, Michelle's comment about the merchandise, I mean, that was kind of one of the masterful things that Lucas did with this film. It's something that uh, most of the uh, the film uh, production companies didn't care so much about, right. uh, especially with a film like this. And uh, he saw the potential there, and it's really one of the huge things that allowed him to be so much more independent with the later films that he right. made was that he had such uh, – basically had exclusive rights to all of the, uh, the commercial production right. of – uh, all the toys, et cetera. So uh, that was very cool. Um, but you know again, you you can't argue with anything any of the decisions he made on this particular film, and uh, the financial success of this particular film was really realized more by the, you know the uh, by Fox. Um, and it's right. interesting, one of the other things that really doesn't show up in the numbers is that as a result of the way that this movie did when it came out, uh, Alan Ladd Jr., who was the executive that had supported him and really one of the primary reasons why this film got made, his salary actually tripled as a result of this. Mm-hmm. So uh, certainly well deserved that, that he was one of the few people willing to stick his neck out for Lucas and, and he was rewarded accordingly.
0: Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. By the way, I want to before you move on too much farther on this, I need to go back to the. I'm not much of a Star Wars collector per se. Rob <laughs> says the guy who has like 18 lightsabers is <laughs> saying oh, that he's on, only four. <laughs> <laughs> That's Sorry. That's until we get to Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. We'll see well, what happens exactly. after that. Yeah, I was yeah. already adding that
3: well. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so my question is though, uh, when the next Star Wars movie came out, who was the driver there in in getting to the theater? Was it you or your dad?
3: it would have still had to it would still had to been my parents i was probably only uh, i was seven at that point (laughs) wasn't quite able to drive yet although had they
0: had they not been willing to take
3: me i might have figured it
1: out or at least
0: insisted (laughs) right so let's get on let's get on to some fun facts before we close out that our star wars remember series um rob I i know you've got some fun facts uh, one of the really fun
3: ones uh, – again, this is from Renzler's book uh, on the making of Star Wars. But um, at the time that the movie got released, actually on its release date of May 25th of 1977, uh, Lucas was actually still working on finishing some of the audio mixes uh, for other editions of the, of the film. And his wife was doing some uh, editing work on the movie New York, New York, and they would kind of – she would work – uh, all day. And he was kind of working overnight. So they would meet up in the morning and, uh, kind of have a meal together so they could spend some time together. And on that particular day, they met up at the hamburger, have, uh, sorry, hamburger Hamlet, uh, over on Hollywood Boulevard, which is right across the street from, uh, Grauman's Chinese theater. And, um, They were kind of in the back of that locale having their lunch, and Lucas looks out the front window, and he sees this huge crowd in front of the theater, limos pulling up, et cetera. And he's thinking, oh, someone must be premiering a movie. Uh, And he never expected that it was Star Wars because it wasn't set to play Grauman's Chinese Theater. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, due to some issues with uh, William Friedkin's movie, Sorcerer, which was supposed to premiere there, they actually put Star Wars in. And uh, this was kind of right before he left to go on that vacation that you alluded to earlier with Spielberg, where they kind of came up with the idea for Indiana Jones. But, um, you know, again, even he was not expecting this film to be Mm -hmm. the success that it was. And and he was as shocked as anybody by the fact that not only was it successful, it was, you know, a blockbuster of the first magnitude.
0: By the way, I'm always proud to brag that I... And one of the ones lucky enough that I saw Star Wars in its initial release in Grauman's Chinese Theater at one point because uh, I was living nice. in the L.A. area during that time. So yes, I'm I'm very much bragging about that. Nice, but, that is incredibly yeah, cool. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it was. It's like that's why I brag about it because it is incredibly cool. I feel so blessed to have gotten that opportunity during my lifetime. So uh, yeah. Uh,
3: Yeah, in terms of some of the other stuff, um, first and foremost, it's really interesting because uh, Lucas was super depressed after they had finished filming uh, because he didn't really feel like they'd gotten the shots that he wanted. Uh, And what you see in that movie is essentially every last frame of film that was usable – uh, was was put into the film. Uh, he had all kinds of issues that he dealt with. There were sandstorms when they were filming. Right, right. Uh, he had hired an editor that ended up doing work that wasn't what he had envisioned. So he ended up, uh, kind of having to edit the film with himself and uh, his wife and a couple other editors uh, to to get it out on time. Certainly the special effects issues that we talked about. So so many things stacked against this being successful. Um, and the scene where the Tusken Raider is attacking uh, Luke with his gaffy right. stick, um, the terror on Luke's face in that scene is completely real because the stunt director who is the one in the Tusken mm-hmm. Raider helmet couldn't see anything. Uh, so he's, you know, attacking Luke with the Gabby stick and Luke is literally, or Mark Hamill is literally afraid for his life uh, in that particular scene. So there were so many cool little stories like that. Um, if anyone's interested in, in learning more about this, I would certainly recommend Rensselaer's book. Uh, and, you know, just, just to see what went into this, It is a miracle that it was made, and it was a miracle that it was the success that it was. And uh, I I couldn't imagine the last 42 years of my life without something like Star Wars in it.
0: Yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. Uh, I just have a couple quick fun facts here that I want to get to that I found interesting. Uh, In 2013, Star Wars was dubbed into Navajo. Uh, Making it the first major motion picture translated into a Native American language. I thought that was kind of interesting. Again, this is from the internet, okay? I know everything on the internet is true, (laughs) but just in case I do flub up on any of these, just let you know. 20th Century Fox, we've talked about how this came out of nowhere. Right. Well, they were caught off guard as well uh, by the film success. They had a lab working around the clock to strike up new 35mm and 70 millimeter right. prints to get to these theaters as more and more uh, they were requesting this film come in as it became so popular. Uh, another interesting thing, in early drafts of the film, R2-D2 actually spoke in English.
1: Oh, wow. And
0: apparently uh. he had a bit of a, a foul language. Like, he was not timid oh, wow. about the things he would say uh, there. So apparently uh, he, 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 they have obviously changed that to where it's just, you know, bleeps and bloops right. and whatever else now, but you can still see apparently some of C-3PO's actions to some of the things that R2-D2 oh, really? said as you go through <laughs> it. And finally, let me, let me see. I think I just have one more thing here. Um, Han shot first. Okay. Thank you very much. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> We all knew that. That's <laughs> right.
1: That's right.
0: <laughs> so I, I think we'll just wrap this up. with quickly the legacy of this. I think it's very simple. Our worlds would be so much different if Star Wars never existed. Yeah. This film didn't exist. Um, you know, I mean, I know my life. I am such a big Star Wars fan. I, I don't know what would be so different about our lives, Michelle's life, mine. It's just, it's incredible to think about a world without Star Wars in it. Rob, I know you don't even have a podcast, or at least it's very different if (laughs) if there's no Star Wars out there. And we might, who knows, we may not even have a podcast if no Star Wars existed. I,
3: well, I mean, I, we we may not have ever met if it weren't for
0: Star Wars. True, it was kind true. of Star Wars that drew us together in
3: the first place. Right. And uh, we got a friendship to show for it. So I'll always be thankful for that. Definitely. Yes. No question
0: about that. Any other thoughts on the legacy of the film?
1: Well, just that, you know, I mean, how much it touched so many people in the world. And, you know, I, I mean, because of the legacy, because it continues on and that kids now are, you know, growing up with their ability to see the growth of this. And mm-hmm. it's just an amazing, amazing adventure.
0: Yeah. Rob, any other thoughts on the legacy? Well, I mean, the the
3: thing that I don't know that, that people realize is that the, the true legacy of this film, apart from Star Wars and everything surrounded uh, surrounding Star Wars, is the fact that it brought... Uh, ILM to the table. It brought Skywalker Sound to the table. It created all of these technologies that have been used across the board. It created I mean, Pixar, Pixar yeah. wouldn't yeah. exist if it weren't for Star Wars. Uh, you know, that was an endeavor that was part of ILM that ended up uh, later being sold to Disney. So. Uh, So much of what is pop culture and and, uh, kind of in the wheelhouse is is films today uh, and entertainment today is there because of Star Wars and, and the work that Lucas had done. Uh, in creating that. So I know that uh, there's a lot of people who who have issue with George Lucas and the prequels and all these other things, but there has been, uh, without a doubt, so much more good that have come out of these films in terms of entertainment and, and right. culture today that I really don't think you can argue with anything that was done.
0: completely agree. Yeah, I mean, exactly. we, we've talked about at the top of the show how we're heading out to the D23 Expo 2019 here in just a few days. And, you know, there's going to be so much of the content wrapped around that that is going to be Star Wars Base, some of the stuff we're most looking forward to. Rob, we were just talking about going to Star Wars Galaxy's Edge here for your first visit here coming up in just a few weeks. How exciting that is. How many movie franchises, there are great movie franchises out there, but how many... Can put out what one this, this kind of content, but then also have something like Star Wars Celebration, right. you know, that's coming out. We just had it earlier this year. We got it coming next year in Anaheim, and how big a convention that is, and that is just from this. And the start of this all was this film. It's it's, it's it. The impact right. on this film. We we can never really fully grasp it, exactly. you know. But it's, yeah,
3: and the charity—I mean, the charity work—you've got right, organizations right. like the Rebel Legion and the Mandalorian Works right. and the Five O First—and they do all this amazing charity work. Um, so there's so much good that has come out of this that's separate from the movies, and uh, you know, it's it's just all a credit to the the work that the fans do and and the inspiration that Lucas had given. I mean, we've talked right. about uh, the fact before that the merger of Lucasfilm and Disney. Is really ideal because you're talking about two master storytellers, uh, in Walt Disney and George Lucas, right. and um, they really belong together.
0: Absolutely, yeah. I completely agree, and we can't wait to see where we're going forward, and we're going to find out here in just a few more yeah. days what's what's to come. Hopefully, at least a few things what's to come, and hoping for that Obi Wan series that's being rumored. <laughs> hoping, hoping, hoping. You're here. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so that's our look back at Star Wars. Well, Star Wars, but yes, eventually Star Wars (laughs) Episode 4, A New Hope, and... I'm sure if you all have thoughts on when you first saw it and how you you enjoyed this film, please contact us and let us know your thoughts on this film. And Rob, uh, thanks again for joining us. We love having you on for so many episodes, but definitely the Star Wars Remembered series. And uh, definitely for those of you who enjoy this series, please go check out the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. It is a wonderful, wonderful show. Rob, uh, please tell our listeners how they can find, how they can follow you on uh, social media as well.
3: Yeah, uh, basically our show is available anywhere you uh, get your podcast if you happen to listen to your podcast on a platform and you can't find the jedi temple archives podcast uh drop me a line at jtapodcast at gmail.com and let me know and i will certainly make sure that we get it out there but uh right now i mean we're on apple or we're on itunes uh, we're on google podcasts we're on spotify we're on Stitcher. Uh, and any number of other uh, locations. If you want to get a hold of us on social media, we are on Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest at JTA Podcast. And uh, we certainly do a lot of kind of back and forth with fans and uh, friends of the podcast out on Twitter. So that's usually the best place to reach us unless you're trying to get a hold of us via email.
0: Yeah, uh, it's really a great show. Check it out. Give him a follow. He's a lot of fun on social media as well. Uh, it, it really is a wonderful show and, uh, it covers a lot of aspects that, uh, Star Wars that maybe you don't know a lot about, but it doesn't do it in a demeaning way to the listener, which is always nice. Right, right. But what, what did you say Michelle? the show? No, I said, it's awesome. No, you're, <laughs> what you're supposed to say is it doesn't make you feel like a jerk.
3: Sure. Yeah, Michelle gave us our, uh, our slogan so uh, we'll always be thankful for that and hopefully I can get you guys on here soon we'll do an episode on droids yeah, I, awesome. I heard uh, a little rumor that Michelle may want to have uh, a little bit of information a little <laughs> weigh in on that oh she's
0: excited for that one once we can finally put the, the details together and make that all happen but yes I appear regularly on the Jedi Temple Archives podcast Michelle has shown up a couple times but whether we're on there or not it's a great show Absolutely. every single episode so Rob thanks again for joining us and we'll look forward to next month going into episode five Mm -hmm. that's right empire strikes back
3: i'm gonna have to start prepping for that now (laughs) (laughs)
1: thanks
0: again rob you bet thank you guys for having me on so thanks again to our amazing friend rob LeBerry from the jedi temple archives podcast it is a great show you should definitely check it out it is the star wars podcast that doesn't make you feel (laughs) like a jerk
1: Oh, man.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and Michelle is looking for some sort of residuals for that tagline, which has been adopted by the show. But it is true. That's why it's great is because even though it's a funny line, it is very true about the Jedi Temple Archives podcast.
1: Well, it's definitely very true that they um, that Rod is such a, a great expert. And yet when he's sharing that his knowledge, it comes across in a very, very familiar, very comfortable way.
0: Yeah, it, it doesn't make you feel like if you don't understand or don't know a lot of the details behind Star Wars, maybe you've just watched the films or whatever the case may be. It doesn't make you feel like, well, you should know all this other stuff that's in the <laughs> books and the comics or and the it goes animated series, Right, uh, he, that's why it doesn't make you feel like a jerk. It <laughs> makes you feel like, okay, I, that's fine. I'm, I'm here to learn. Please you know, teach me about yeah, all these different things. Way. And it does provide much more depth into a lot of these Star Wars films and the Star Wars universe itself, including Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, which we know is opening up for the annual Passholder previews this week week. And then of course, in just a couple weeks from now, it's going to open up for the general, general public. And mm-hmm. that's so exciting. And we're excited for everybody who's getting out there and getting to experience it coming up here in the next several weeks.
1: Yes. I mean, we know how fun it is. And for those of you who have experienced it, uh, we've loved seeing a lot of the things mm-hmm. on social media um, about it. I mean, even having some of the comparisons and and things with Disneyland Resort. So it's been awesome.
0: It has been awesome. and We love love seeing all of it and hearing all the great things you have to say about it since we've been lucky enough to experience it ourselves. Now we're so excited for all of you to go out there and check it out. But let's move on now. We never get through any week without giving you the Disney Stories of the Week. And this week is no different. We have so many Disney Stories and we want to get to a few of them. And we're going to start with there's a new ticket option coming to the Walt Disney. Disney World Resort. That could be perfect for those of you who believe in the maybe late to bed, late to rise. (laughs) Not exactly what I do, but I totally get it for those of you who do. So this is straight from the Disney Parks blog. The new midday magic ticket, which is available now, is a great value for families to take in the unsurpassed fun across our four. Theme parks Tickets are valid for admission after 12 p.m. and were designed with your flexibility in mind. Again, this is coming straight from the Disney Parks blog, so if it reads like a brochure, it pretty much is. Uh, The tickets may be used at any of the four theme parks, allowing you to catch a parade, enjoy a meal, experience your favorite attractions, and then get ready for wondrous nighttime shows. It's really cool for those. I mean, like sometimes we struggle a little bit when we go out there, at least for the first few days, coming from the West Coast to the East Coast. Because you know we're on a different time, right? So Our, it, it, to try and get out there for rope drop or whatever, it can be it a can struggle, be difficult for sure, right. right? So maybe if you have that, whether you are from a different time zone or whether you just don't like to move so quickly in the morning, this might be great for you. Or if you just like to leisurely enjoy some breakfast, maybe do a few things, right. get together, and then make it out, and then you like to go to the end tell fireworks and beyond, this may be perfect for you.
1: Yeah, I think it's a great addition to the for them to have this. Option and I do like you're saying. There's so many reasons why uh, planning to go in later in the day is something that fits people's some people's schedules. And you know, like you said, for us, uh, and I've always been a late night person too. So I I'm really happy they're doing this.
0: Yeah. So here's the deal with it. It these four are for two, three, and four day. Uh, tickets, Midday Magic Tickets is what they're called, and they're available for use on or before December 15th of 2019. Here's the prices. For the two-day ticket, It's from starts at $88 a day plus tax, which will be a total out to $176 total plus tax. For the three-day ticket, it starts from $84 a day plus tax, which count, uh, totals out to $252 total plus tax. And for a four-day ticket, it starts at $79 a day plus tax, which will, totals, again. Again, to uh, $316 plus tax. Now, these are subject to change depending. There are some busier days where the price may be a little bit more. There are some days where actually it's a little bit cheaper than that. So you'll want to look on the website to find that out. Uh, Tickets are valid for one theme park per day. So be sure you know that, that you're not going to be able to park hop. Uh, Prices are for ages 10 years and older. And like I said, the prices vary depending on your date. Uh, The three-day ticket expires five days after the selected start date. The 2 dates expires four days after your selected start date. And the four-day ticket expires seven days after the selected start date. So it doesn't mean that you have to go four days in a row or three days in a row. So just so you know, maybe if there's a day where you want to get into the parks earlier, you could purchase a ticket that gets you in that's more of a full-price ticket. Right. And then you can balance it out the other days with some of the other other tickets. So uh, it's all whatever is best for you. It
1: really makes sense out there uh, because there are a lot of groups that do conventions and seminars and things like that. So you could have people who are coming out and may only have like late afternoon and evening to go into the parks. And here's a great option that, you know, provide some some cost savings
0: to do that right so uh you might want to take a look at that see if it's right for you and again it's not right for everybody some people like to get up and they will go first thing in the morning they want to be out there for rope drop some will do rope drop to fireworks right. and beyond um but if it's what some of you that like to maybe even take your morning at a little more leisurely pace this might be the best way to approach it for you know it's a it is a discounted ticket price for you right Nice, nice. So let's move on, but we'll stay at the Walt Disney World Resort. And there is some news coming out that some of our four-legged friends are getting a fresh new home at the Walt Disney World Resort. Nice. Yes. This, again, from the Disney Parks blog. The equine residents of Disney's Fort Wilderness Resort and Campground at both the Pony Farm and the... Tri-Circle D Ranch are set to receive a beautiful new barn. Nice. Yeah, I saw they have some uh, some concept art of it. It looks spectacular. That's so great for them. I'm yes. sure it's going to be look fantastic once it's done. Uh, Imagineers have redesigned the, tri- the, the Tri-Circle D Ranch. I want to <laughs> say Triple D Ranch or something along yeah. those <laughs> lines. Um, Tri-State area. <laughs> <yeah>. Okay, Doofenshmirtz. <laughs> Which will offer a modern stable and updated outdoor spaces and facilities for the happiest horses on earth. (laughs) Uh, The new ranch will maintain the history and spirit of the original Tri-Circle D welcoming guests to explore exhibits of classic Disney equestrian artifacts, some of which date back to the 1950s.
1: Yeah, it's so cool. It's one of those gems that people really don't either know about or take the time to mm-hmm. appreciate and, and experience, uh, we have done it out there and mm-hmm. just walking around and just seeing, you know, well, the grounds and the horses and like you said, the artifacts. It's it's really a, a fun treat.
0: Right. Now, you're not going to be able to visit it after, well, probably when you're listening to this because it's Monday that they're starting this August 19th. But once it does reopen and you get the chance uh, it, it's just past if you uh, go to Fort Wilderness and then there's the Trails End restaurant there and then the hoop Do doo review and just past that is where a lot of the animal areas are and that right. is where the new barn is going to be as well so like I said it is closing on Monday August 19th the draft house barn and the pony farm will be inaccessible for guests until the new barn debuts which is scheduled to debut in spring of 2020 so that'll be great. Mm-hmm. However, you can still enjoy the pony rides at the Trailblaze Corral, which is near the campground's entrance. That's on the other side of Fort Wilderness, right. where you, if you're driving into it, where you would go to, and the, you still can do the trail rides and the pony rides there. If, if you're either visiting the resort or if you're visiting, you don't need to be staying at Fort Wilderness to enjoy those. You just need to schedule it ahead of time and you can go. Out. Sure. And I'm sure there are some walk-ups as well. Right, right. So um, take advantage of that. But it's so great that they're going to be having this brand new bar and I'm excited to see it once it gets done. Um, It's one of our favorite spots in all of the Walt Disney World Resort and uh, we're excited to see this all come to fruition. definitely. Right, absolutely. And I said absolutely this time, so I'm putting one in the jar. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on, we now know the dates that you'll have your chance to become a member of the Disney Parks Moms panel. Yes, it's Mm -hmm. opening up once again. They do this every single year. This straight from a Disney Parks press release Disney Destinations is looking for experienced Disney Parks guests to apply for the 2020 Disney Parks Moms panel, an online question and answer forum for planning Disney vacations. Each year for the past decade, thousands of hopeful candidates apply to become part of this coveted panel to help future visitors plan their most magical Disney getaways. This year, the application window opens up on Thursday, September 5th at noon Eastern Daylight Time and runs through Thursday, September 12th, 2019 at noon Eastern Daylight Time and you can apply online at MomsPanelSearch.com again that's MomsPanelSearch.com
1: and there's a lot of groups out there in social media that, you know, can share some information of people who have gone through, you know, Mm -hmm. the application process in the past. Um, Some people who have actually been selected for that, uh, like you said, that really coveted position. Um, So there is a lot of support out there that you can seek out if you're really considering
0: to apply. Right. Uh, If you're, if you're uh, curious about it at all, we did an episode that pretty much will give you all the details of how it laid out. We did it about a year ago. I actually don't know the number of episodes, but if you want to look back at all our episodes, it kind of laid out the whole entire process for you so you can kind of know uh, exactly uh, how it works. That was when we were like real newbies. I wonder how how we sound
2: in Experienced we sound. Yeah, well,
1: <laughs> I mean, not the not the content. The content was, I'm sure, spot on. But how we came out. Like,
0: yeah, there are probably still some people say you still sound like newbies. That's true. <laughs> But anyway, if you want to know about the Disney Parks Mom, P- Moms Pound, you can listen to that episode, but also just to give you a few details on it. It is a group of people that, that are volunteers, essentially. They go online and you answer people's questions. Right. And if you're really interested, if you haven't done it before and you want to find out more details,
1: um, we would encourage you to join some of the mom panel groups, whether it be on Facebook, um, that's pretty much the, the predominant one, the best yeah. place that you can get that. And, and people really cheer each other on throughout the process. And, you know, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool if you become, uh, you know, and you don't have to be a mom, right. you, there, dads, you know, there's grandparents. dads, grandparents, yeah. Um, you know, and just be a resource for people. I know a lot of us in the Disney community that are on podcasts, blogs and blogs, you know, love the. Idea of sharing our passion for Disney, and this is another outlet for them.
0: Right, it's actually we went through the process, and it's actually how we met you. You heard him earlier, uh, Rob LeBerry from right. the Jedi Temple Archives podcast was going through the moms panel process and being part of this Facebook group. We've made some great friends from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are some wonderful people a part of it, including the people that actually make it through. It's an interesting process. You go through several different legs. Uh, there's the initial leg. And if you make it through that, you can go to another leg. And Then a third leg, and then they finally pick who goes. It's it's a fascinating process. However, I'm going to warn you ahead of time: when you don't make it, it can be heartbreaking too. So you know, be prepared for that. But it also is fun, and there are, like Michelle said, some very encouraging people out there on some of these social media groups. Right.
1: You know, and on the flip side, there are some people who say sometimes being in those, uh, you know, following along in those social media groups can actually make it more difficult if you don't make it through, <laughs> uh, because then you're hearing about all the joy of somebody who has made it through, like you said, the first application uh, level, and then the, I think you do a video it's next. A video level next, more questions in video, yeah, right? and then the final one is an interview. Right. Yeah. And so, um, you know, it's, it's however you all roll, if you're interested in doing that, if you, you know, want to follow along with some people, at least through the process of mm-hmm. application and,
0: um, or not. Right. It's, up, it's completely up to you, but it is an interesting uh, way to go about it. And if you are somebody who loves... Passing along information to people, helping people with their plan, their Disney trips, and you have the time on your hands to do it, um, I highly encourage it because uh, these are all, every one of these moms' panelists, we've met many of them or at least know them socially on social media. And uh, we've been through many uh, prospective ones that we've known on social media. And some of you out there who are listening, I know that you are prospective panelists because uh, that's how you came to know about our show is from us being in those groups. Sure, and right. so, highly encourage you taking advantage of it and giving it a shot
1: right and if you have any questions for us feel free to reach out to us at Hyperion
0: Adventures Podcast at gmail.com or on uh, any of the social media outlets right, right. and we'll go over those again at the end of the show finally i want just one last story for you and that's a quick one here toy story 4 crossed the billion dollar mark at the box office this nice week. that now makes five disney films that have crossed the billion dollar wow. mark this year. Woohoo. It's incredible. They're, Disney is having an amazing box office year and they still have a couple big films to come that right. may surpass that. Frozen 2 possibly. Right. Uh, Star Wars almost, you know, Rise of Skywalker right. almost certainly will. The question is will it have passed a billion dollars before we get out of this year and it moves into 2020, 2020. Right. but it's definitely going to add millions of millions almost certainly before we get to the end of the sure. year to whatever right. the box office total will be so congratulations again to one toy story 4 and pixar but also to right. disney in general yeah so that's it for the disney stories of the week however we never leave any show well so far because when we get to our D23 shows we're probably not going to be doing the Disney stories of the week or the tips of the week but when we're doing a regular episode we never leave you without some sort of tip that might help you on your next vacation your next trip to the parks whatever it may be whether it's a Disney cruise whether you're doing Run Disney whatever we try and have some little tidbit that might help you out and speaking of little tidbits my little tidbit (laughs) Michelle always has the very best tips she is awesome she has the best tips she's wonderful Wonderful. And that's why we always have her go first. So let's get right to it. Here is Michelle's tip of the week. Oh,
1: you're so sweet. Um, So in honor of the 30th anniversary of Little Mermaid, I wanted to share with you all a fun experiment experience that you can have at the Walt Disney World Resort that you might not know about. Or you might, who knows? Ready? Ready. You can attend mermaid school. Really? That's right. Wow. (laughs) I might want to do that. I know, right? So guests four years and up, and they didn't have a limit listed, um, can take a one-hour class, and it starts off where you get fitted with swimmable tail, a swimmable tail, Mm -hmm. and then you're uh, led through some fun training activities as you learn how to swim like a mermaid. So what's really neat, they have it in multiple locations. They have it at the Disney Art of Animation, the Caribbean Beach Resort, and the Yacht and Beach Club Resort. The cost of the class is fifty dollars plus tax, and you can make reservations uh, on their reservation line. So, wow. four zero seven
0: WDW Play. Wow!
1: I know. Very can you imagine cool. that?
0: I'm going to put it out there right now. If we pass a thousand followers on Twitter <laughs> by the end of this week, before D23 Expo starts, okay, we'll say in the middle of this week I will go be part of mermaid school. Nice. Yeah. We need two hundred a little less than two hundred. If you're gonna do that, I will sign up the next trip we're out there and I will be part of mermaid school.
1: Who knows? I was maybe planning to do that for your birthday.
0: Ooh. <laughs> for you. Okay. That's exciting.
1: But anyways I thought that was fun. Who doesn't
0: want to see me in a mermaid tale? Yeah everybody's no, no. No. That. That'd, no. that'd be hilarious
1: no. in a in a good way. <laughs> <laughs>
0: anyway, I think that's awesome. That's fun. How fun. Mermaid school. Yeah, cool.
1: mermaid school. So cool. D- Disney tip.
0: Love that. Love that very much. That's inc- and Michelle always has the best tips and <laughs> uh, she just explained something I didn't even know existed and uh, now right? I want to go do it. Right? So. <laughs> Let's move on and we'll get to my lesser tip. Not nearly as cool as mermaid school by any stretch of the imagination. (laughs) I'm going to go back to, since we're just about to get to the D23, I want to talk about one more final tip that we're going to have before we get out to the expo. Uh, And that is when you're on the D23 floor, some things you might want to know. And that is very simple. When you're on the D23 floor, Keep your eyes open when you're out there. Don't have tunnel vision. Don't just look to get to the next (laughs) panel or to the next signing or whatever else. You never know what you're going to stumble or who you're going to stumble across when you're on the D23 floor. Good point. Two years ago, when we were at D23 Expo 2017, I stumbled across a couple of celebrities while I was out on the floor. Uh, Michael Rooker, who you may know as Yondu, Mm -hmm. was just out there on the floor. It was a random, (laughs) ran into him. He was out there. I took a great picture of him out there. Of course, uh, like I said, Yondu from Guardians of the Galaxy. He was also in The Walking Dead, if you follow that show at all. Uh, I also just stumbled across Yvette Nicole Brown, who you may know from Community, uh, if you watch that show, but she's also... A super fan of many other shows and uh, does a lot of hosting of different p- panels at Comic-Con and uh, she will be hosting some panels yeah, out there. at D23. Uh, right. I think she's part of the uh, Masquerade panel as far as hosting that or judging that as well. Right. So uh, it's very likely that she will be out there somewhere and she does roam the floor occasionally and she's very, very friendly. So uh, keep, you, keep your eyes open out there. And it's not even about celebrities. You never know who you might see out there as far as maybe you'll run into a friend you haven't seen in a long True. time that you didn't even know was coming. Right. Um, maybe you'll see some stuff being handed out for free. There's all sorts of giveaways that aren't necessarily listed on like some of the talent, you know, true. things. Uh, if you keep your eyes open and your ears open, you may get a free little poster or some other little knickknack giveaway. Right. Uh, you'll see some excellent cosplay out there if you keep your eyes open. You just never know. And of course, oh, you also might see some of your favorite vloggers or bloggers because they're going to be out there. And yes, we will be out there too. I don't know if we're your favorite. Hopefully (laughs) so since you've listened this far into the show. But um, you never know, but definitely when you're out on the floor, take a look around, keep your eyes open, enjoy the whole thing. There's the parade, the fan parade that goes on twice a day, every day. Check that out. Just enjoy your time on the floor. You just never know what you might stumble across.
1: That is an excellent point. You know, it really is like when you said, don't have tunnel vision, that is just so true. Just really take it all in, enjoy it. It's not something that happens all the time. And it's a really fun event. And that's an awesome
0: tip, sweetie. Thank you, sweetheart. I appreciate that. Yeah, uh, yeah it is all, you know, of course, uh, the big panels and even the smaller panels is mostly about that, but it's not all about that. It's about a lot of Disney fans getting out there right. together and having a great time. And, you know, maybe you'll see some old friends, make some new friends. Uh, it, it is going to be a blast. And we can't wait to see you out there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, I almost, ah, I almost. Into the jar, into the yeah. jar. <laughs> We're getting silly now. That's it for this week. Next week, we've already told you all about it. We are going to be at the D23 Expo beginning on Thursday. Thursday. You'll want to follow along with us on social media. You'll want to listen to all of our episodes. We're going to be doing four episodes one on Thursday evening, Friday evening, Saturday evening, Sunday evening, maybe Monday morning, depending on what we're doing as we wrap up the very last day. Right. Uh, but we will have those episodes out for you that are going to kind of wrap up each day's event and what we've seen and what's gone on. And we are in. All the, the, the major panels, we do have reservations for those. So uh, please, please, please follow along with us.
1: Yeah. And if you have any questions for us, so shoot them out to us so we can check out on things or give you updates on things that we might not have thought about.
0: Right. Absolutely. And ha ha ha, I got me. And uh, get out there on the floor <laughs> and take a look for us. Uh, if you're not going to be out there, unfortunately, I'm sorry, we're not going to, we're going to miss you while you're out there, but you can follow along with us on social media, on Twitter at Hyperion Podcast. Facebook. Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest at Hyperion Adventures Podcast. And just as Michelle said, you can always email us at any time at Hyperion Adventures Podcast at com. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. See, I caught myself. Yes. I was almost ready to say it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we appreciate you joined us today. Join us in the future and especially for this special mini series that we're going to be doing. Best place to find it is on our website, podcast.com You can also subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartMedia. We're all over the place. And if there is a place where you normally list a podcast that you can't find us, let us know because we want to get on that site. And we appreciate you listening
1: now. And we look forward to uh, having some, like you said, honey, having some special daily report out so this is going to be an exciting adventure for us that we haven't done that before so
0: it's going to be a lot of fun and we look forward to having you join along with us either out there on the floor or along at home so that's it for this week thank you for listening to the Hyperion Adventures podcast we look forward to sharing some time with you again at D23 Expo 2019 but until that time I'm Tom I'm Michelle and we hope that you have a magical week